so it is so good to be here today, and as I said, I'm excited for today. I love the beginning of the new year because it's always exciting and anticipation. I know a lot of people are getting excited for the new year, and sometimes we're a week into it, and people are already like, dang it, I miss some of my goals, I miss some of my plans, I miss some of the new rhythms I would want to do. So I think it's important as we begin to talk about a new year that we first go back to two scriptures that helps frame us. As we prepare for the new year, we look at what David says in 1 Psalm 38. He said, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. O Lord, your loving devotion endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Paul says something really similar in the New Testament. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just so encouraging. As you start a new year, it's not about the plans I set. It's not about the rhythms I have. It's not about the goals. But we go back to the Word of God and we say, God, thank you that you have a promise to move me forward. You have a promise to bring me into the purposes that you have for me. So we pause now to say we take comfort in that. We take comfort in the promises of God that he has a plan that's bigger than my plans that I might fail at. So I like that. I like to frame the year that way. But I think, it's not, I think it's very important for us to have goals and to do rhythms or ideas that we want to pursue in this year. But I think it's also important that as a community, we have some new goals or some maybe new direction that we want to see. Because I think we all want to be a part of something that's bigger than us. We want to be part of something that's going to be effective. We want to be part of something that's going to make an impact on the world. So I think it's important for us as a community to say, how is God leading us in this year and what is God going to be doing for us in this year? I think the best place to start when you talk about goals for a church is we have to go back to the Great Commission. We have to go back to some of Jesus's final words before he ascended into heaven because that helps frame what God has called us to do. So I want to read the Great Commission out of the message translation today. I think it helps us to see even more of what Jesus was saying in a little bit different wording. So here it says in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave them his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then instruct them into the practices of all I have commanded you. This is what we are called to do. This is what we've been authorized by God to do. So the big question we have then is, well, how do we do it? What are we supposed to do next? So I've been asking myself that question a lot lately. How, as a church community, are we going to be part of fulfilling the Great Commission in the new year? So in the last series, you might recall, I did a whole series on joy for two months to lead us up to Christmas. And every week I asked a different question from the sermon. But two of the questions that we kept referring back to, the two questions we kept coming back to were number one, how would your life be different if you believe that God was always with you? How would your life be if that every situation you're in, that you're always like, you know what? I don't like what's happening, but I know that God is with me. I know that God is hovering over me. How would your life be different? And number two, how would your life be different if you always believed, no matter what was happening, that as a follower of Jesus, that God is working everything together for your good? 
And I found comfort in those two questions. I, those questions consistently went through my mind the last two months when I'd experienced something that I didn't like or was uncomfortable or I didn't think was fair or I didn't think it was right. I said, you know what, God, you are with me. You're hovering over with me and you're going to cause things to work together for good. That was comforting. But I realized that those two questions aren't enough. That's not enough to get me forward and to move me in the new plans that God has for me. So as I kept asking God for a new direction this year, I didn't really come up with a whole lot until I read an article from Fuller Seminary Youth Institute. I go to Fuller Seminary Youth Institute quite a bit because I think they have a really good resources on the next generation, what the next generation is thinking and feeling and, and just kind of experiencing. So I read this article that the author wrote kind of summarizing kind of what he anticipates for the new year. And the author mentioned that a lot of the younger generation, the Gen Z specifically, they have a lot of respect for historical Jesus. They like Jesus of the Bible. They like what he did. They like how he treated people. They like the ministry that he did. They're all for Jesus. And they like the idea of going to heaven. They think that's a really good plan. They like the idea of eternity. But in this middle period here, this middle gap between Jesus, Jesus on earth and heaven, they really don't see how the gospel really can impact their life. They really don't see how Jesus is really relevant to their day-to-day -day life. So, so many of the next generation are not pursuing a deep relationship with Jesus at all. They just think the Bible's not relative. Now, Gen Z is not the first generation to have that idea. Probably most of you have probably experienced that as well. I experienced that when I was younger. Just thinking, what, well, what good does this do? I don't see how this is impacting my life. I'm not experiencing the fullness of what the Bible is talking about. But we can't ignore the feelings of people that experience this. They respectfully appreciate Jesus. They respectfully appreciate heaven. But right now they're saying, I think it's irrelevant. I don't know why I should pursue Jesus. And there's a lot of adults with the same thing. They love Jesus. They want to go to heaven, but they don't pursue Jesus on a daily basis because they think it doesn't really do anything in my life. So I began to think, how do we as a church community make the Bible, make the story of Jesus relative to the world? How do we take what Jesus says in the Gospels and how do we show it to people that they'll say, yeah, Jesus is aware of my needs. He is aware of my situation and he wants to make a difference in my life. So I decided if I'm going to try to figure that out, I probably should go to the Gospels to see how did these early followers react to Jesus, his first teaching. So I went to the book of Mark. Mark is probably one of my favorite books of the gospel. I like Mark because he's enthusiastic. One scholar says the book should be called Exclamation Mark because it's almost like every sentence in the book of Mark should have an exclamation point because he's excited. Throughout the book of Mark, Mark uses the word, um, he uses the word immediately over, uh, over 40 times. And he talks about different, he talks about 21 different miracles that Jesus did. So there's a lot of excitement in the book. And it's a smaller book, so it's packed full of immediately's, suddenly's, and miracles. And I thought, I'll read through this and to see how did these early people react to Jesus. So the book opens, it does, he doesn't go over the, the birth of Jesus, he just gets right to the stuff. So he starts out with John the Baptist, goes into how Jesus was baptized, how Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, how Jesus called his first followers, and talks about how the people reacted to Jesus. Now it's interesting, we're in the very first chapter of Mark, we get to verse 21, and it tells us how the crowd is experiencing Jesus. And I love this part. It says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogues and he began to teach. 
The people were amazed at his teachings, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Now, this is an exciting event that's happening. We're in the first chapter of Mark. People are excited. You're hearing the word amaze used two different, two different times. You're hearing the word suddenly used. People are excited. This is exciting what's happening to them. It's probably a little different from how we would experience Jesus in 2024. I don't know if people in 2024 would be like, whoa, this is really good teaching. They might say, well, I've heard another podcast kind of like him better. And I think in our society today, our first reaction would be evil spirits, demons, those don't exist. That's pretend. But see, that crowd back then, they're different. This is a very spiritual crowd back in the early, back in 2,000 years ago. These people believed in demons. They believed that people needed deliverance. It's a very spiritual audience. So this crowd is very aware of the supernatural that's happening. So they're not questioning demons. What they are looking at, their biggest question is, what is this new teaching that comes with such authority? everybody's gripped on the end of their seats because they haven't seen this kind of authority displayed. They haven't seen this kind of power over demons ever displayed. In other words, the whole crowd is wondering, how can Jesus do all of this stuff? And for the next two chapters, Jesus continues to teach and heal people. Good morning, Joe. We're glad you're here. Yay, Joe's here. I'm not embarrassing you. I'm just happy you're here. So Jesus goes on for the next two chapters, and he's healing people. He's setting people free. And then you get to Mark 3, just two chapters later, and Jesus does something nobody sees coming. He starts to share his authority. Who would expect that? They're looking at Jesus with his teaching. He teaches with boldness. He teaches with power. teaches with authority. And what is he saying? I'll share it with you. Look what he says in Mark 3. Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain, called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them. He called them his apostles, and they were to accompany him. And he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Oh, yeah, that's it. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. Jesus gives them three little instructions. Number one, you're going to be with me. Number two, you're going to teach. And number three, you're going to cast out demons. This is remarkable for so many reasons. The first being, these guys barely know Jesus. They barely know what he's up to. They're not even sure he's the son of God. They're not even sure all that he's going to do in the future. And Jesus already gives them some authority. You go to the next chapter, Mark 4, verse 41, and the disciples get this little the meeting together and they're all saying to each other, who is this man? Who is he? They don't even know. Even the winds and waves obey him. Jesus already gave them some authority, and they're not even convinced who he is. 
Now, I think that should be really encouraging for each of us because you don't have to have a PhD in authority to understand, for God to give you authority. You don't have to be a really experienced Christian for God to share with you his authority. He gives you his authority when you become a follower of Jesus. You might not even totally understand the authority he's given you. You might not even know that you have authority as a believer, but he starts sharing it with you immediately when you start following him. Even though the biggest question that people have is what is about his authority, Jesus is already sharing his authority with the people. That should be encouraging to each of us. God doesn't put us to some big requirement. You can have authority if you did something really significant. God does give us on-the-job training. But I think it's important to remember that before Jesus, cast, before Jesus sent his disciples out, the first thing he said is, I want you to be with me. He didn't say, hey, I give you authority, go teach and cast out. The first thing, I want you to be with me. The first requirement to understanding teaching and understanding authority is an intimate relationship with Jesus. You have to be with him in order to use the authority that he's given to you. You have to have this relationship so you know how to use the authority. In the book of Acts, it gives us a great illustration of these brothers, their sons of Sceva. These good guys, they had a deliverance ministry going on back in the book of Acts. And they thought, whoa, there's a new way that you cast out demons. You just use in the name of Jesus. So these guys, they were going to do their deliverance ministry. And then they uh, decided to add on the little tag, in the name of Jesus, you know what? The demons came out and they beat up the, the sons of Sceva and the sons of Sceva ran away naked. That's not a good way to do deliverance. See, those sons of Sceva, they weren't with Jesus. They weren't following Jesus. They didn't have an intimate relationship with Jesus. So they had the words in the name of Jesus, but they didn't have the relationship with Jesus. If we are going to move in the authority that Jesus gives us, we have to first have this deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to share his authority. You go two chapters later in Mark, you get to Mark 6, Jesus again talks about his authority. said, then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. He called his 12 disciples together. He began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. You go to the book of Matthew. He says it a little bit differently and he gives some more details. He says Jesus called his 12 disciples together. He gave them the authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Then he goes back to the book of Luke. He says it a little bit different. He said one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples. He gave them power and authority to cast out demons to heal all the sick. Then he sent them out to tell everybody about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. This word authority keeps getting brought up over and over again. Jesus continues to send people out with the authority to be with him, the authority to teach, the authority to cast out demons, the authority to heal the sick. See, God wants the message of Jesus taught, but he also wants it demonstrated. He wants the message of God to impact people's lives, not just their brain, not just their knowledge. He wants them to experience the power of God in their bodies and in their souls and in their spirits. And then it occurred to me, we do a really good job in our country of teaching. There's amazing podcasts out there. There's amazing pastors, there's amazing teachers. You could go to the internet and you could find way better teaching than you could ever expect to. 
We're really good at pulling conferences together to teach people a lot of things, but I don't think we're that good at demonstrating the gospel. And I think the reason why, and I think that's the reason why many people find the gospel ineffective, because they're not seeing how it impacts their lives, they're seeing how it impacts their knowledge, but they're not seeing how it impacts their life. I think the biggest reason is for many of us, we are unsure of how to use the authority that God has given to us. That when God says, I give you authority, I think a lot of us are like, I don't really know exactly what that means. I'm included with y'all. There's parts of it I know, but parts of it I really don't fully understand. And it is such a pattern throughout the gospel's authority, you can't ignore it. I think a really good understanding of, of the authority of the believer is desperately, desperately needed in the body of Christ today. I don't think we have a full knowledge of what it means when Jesus says, I give you authority. I don't think I fully understand what it means when Jesus says, I give you authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. And I began to think how different would our world be if we all really understood the authority that God has given to us. How different would our lives be? How different would the world be if Christians all really understand what it means when Jesus says, I give you authority? And then it hit me. We need to spend a lot of time this year getting to understand and practice the authority that God has given to each of us. We need to understand and we need to practice so we can take the message of Jesus and make it relative to the world around us. That we can take it to the people that are broken and are hurt and then are marginalized and feel like the gospel has no impact on my life. We need to understand and practice authority. Now we need to be careful Practicing the authority that Jesus had given to us is not a secret way that we get to control people. It's not a way that we get to manipulate people. It's a way for us to pray for people. It's a way that we can extend God's rulership and power in the world. It's a way that we can show love and kindness and compassion to people, not control people, not to rebuke people, not to correct them, but to show them God's grace and God's kindness. See, I love this quote by John Tyson. He's one of my favorite teachers. He says, Jesus' vision is that we would be a city on a hill and that people would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven of their own accord, irrespective of the laws on the books, the ruling of the courts, or the leaders in power. His heart was that we would influence culture through redemptive participation in the context of communities and relationship. We expand the kingdom of God. We influence the kingdom of God by showing love and kindness and compassion and understanding by listening people to, li- listening to people, to encourage people. And I think that's why authority is so much on my heart for this year that we can practice authority, that we can understand authority, that we can do our part in seeing the kingdom of God expand in this new year. But not just the kingdom of God expand in the world, but also the kingdom of God expand in our own hearts. Because Jesus always wants more authority over our lives. He wants us to surrender more of what we have. 
So we need to use God's authority to show kindness. We also need to use God's authority to expose the enemy's plans to lie and to kill and to steal. Part of the authority that God has given to us is to cooperate with God to stop the enemy's plans. See, it's so important that we understand 1 John 5 verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. For some reason, Satan still has some power over this world. Satan's been defeated, but he still has power. When you are a follower of Jesus, you have the authority over his power. And we have to exercise that authority. So what are we called to do? I love in the books of Acts, they refer back to Jesus' own words. And Jesus in verse 17 says, So go to the non-believers. Go to the Gentiles. He's instructing the people to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart in faith for me. One of the ways that we use the authority that God has given to us is to see people are set free from the powers of darkness. So now if we are going to understand authority, we probably should understand what does the word actually mean? A lot of what I'm going to teach over the next five, ten minutes comes to from the very first pastor I worked for, Dutch Sheets. He's a brilliant teacher, brilliant author, and so I learned a lot about authority from him. So if I say something that's really good, it's from him. Don't accuse me from plagiarizing if you're like, hey, I know where that came from. So Dutch points on his teaching. You'd expect, if you want to really understand what the, authority, the word authority means, that you'd go to the dictionary. It's a good place to go. But if you go to a really, really old dictionary, back in the days when dictionaries were really thick, you will not find the word authority in the dictionary. You'll find the word author, but you won't find the word authority. The word authority comes from the root word of author. The word author is used in old dictionaries in regards to the creator. If you are the creator of something, you are the author. Not just about writing, but if you're the creator of a painting, you're the author. If you're the creating of some be, a, a work, something that you created, you become the author. And the original definition of an author is that if you are the author, you have authority over what you created. Words are important. That's why Jesus has the ultimate authority, because he is the ultimate creator of everything. That's why Jesus and God, that's why God has authority. He created everything. Everything's his. It belongs to him. So if you create everything, you have authority over it. And one of the first things that God does is that he gives his authority to Jesus to use. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he gives it to us to use. See, God doesn't have just complete authority, but he also has all power. God has all power and he has authority, all authority to use. Now, this gets a little tricky because the word power and the word authority are two different words with two different meanings, and sometimes they get used interchangeably throughout the Bible and just kind of sometimes creates a little bit of confusion. Quite often, when a dictionary or a lexicon would define the word authority, they will use under it power. Well, that's just a little bit nuanced that can, mean, that can lead to really understand what it's saying. Authority is power, but authority is separate from the word power. See, power always refers to the strength 
or force needed to rule. That's power. Authority is the right to use the power. So it's important that these words are distinguished because these words have to work together. See, someone once said, authority without power is useless, and power without, without authority is pointless. They have to be used together. There's a big difference between power and authority. That's why Jesus says in Luke 10, verse 19, he says, look, I've given you authority over the power of the enemy. He's separating the two words. You got authority and you got power because they're two different things. So Jesus has given to us the authority over the power. See, it's never been an issue of power. It's never been an issue of power when it comes to the enemy. It's always an, it's always an issue of authority. God always has the power. The issue is over the authority. And now, like I said, that gets kind of tricky because you go to old translations like the King James and they'll use the word power and authority interchangeably and it gets kind of confusing unless you go back to the Greek and you go to the Greek word authority and the Greek word dunamis. Fortunately, the newer translations have now separated them better. It's kind of like, kind of like the word house and home. They kind of sort of mean the same thing, but the nuances of them are very different. You can have a home, but it's not necessarily a house, and a house doesn't necessarily mean a home. You have to distinguish them clearly, and that's why I'm spending time to say we have to distinguish the difference between power and the difference between authority, because power is always the strength or force needed to rule, and authority is the right to rule. See, when Satan fell from heaven, he did not lose and he did not gain more power. See, at one time, Satan was an angel in heaven. He was a very good angel. He had a lot of power, and he had a lot of authority, had a really big role in heaven, but for some reason, he sinned against God. He usurped God's power, and he's kicked out of heaven. Now, when he got kicked out of heaven, he did not lose all his power. I don't know why not. That will be part of a message we'll do down the road. Why does Satan still have power today? But he got kicked out of heaven. He did not lose his power. Instead, he lost his power authority. He lost his right to use his power, and he really, really wanted that authority back. So what does he do? He tricks Adam and Eve. He gets them to sin, and as soon as he gets them to sin, he got back his authority to use his power. After Adam and Eve sinned, Satan got his authority back. Before Adam and Eve sinned, Satan had no authority. Now he has it back. That's why in the book of Luke, when Satan's tempting Jesus, the enemy looks at Jesus and he says to him, Then the devil took Jesus up and revealed to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And Satan said to Jesus, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Now, if Jesus didn't believe that, he would have looked at the enemy and said, you're lying. You're lying. That's not true. You don't have the authority. Jesus knew that he was right. That's why Jesus' response to the enemy was, I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to worship you. Because Jesus knew that Satan had the authority. Jesus knew that the issue between God and Satan was over authority, not power. 
And Jesus knew that he has come back to the world to be the second Adam to get the authority back that the enemy stole. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he's not going to the cross because he's trying to get power. God is still the creator. God still has power. He's going back to get the authority that back that Adam, that Satan took from Adam and Eve. Satan, or Jesus is sent from God as the second Adam to get the authority back. So Jesus goes to the cross to deal with sin, but first he had to live a spotless life. He could not sin. You can't defeat sin with sin. So he had to not have any sin in his life. So he led this perfect life so he could die for our sins that he could become a substitute. And then when he died from, for our sins, he rose up from the dead. He defeated the power of death. Therefore, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he got the authority back. He got the authority back. That's why the book of Revelations, Jesus said, I hold the keys. I got the keys to death. I got the keys to hell. That's why in Colossians uh, 1, Paul says this. He says, God has rescued us from the kingdom, and here's your Greek word for authority, of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He rescued us from the kingdom authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. In the literal Greek, Christ delivered us from the authority of darkness. In other words, Jesus took away all of Satan's authority. So when you become a follower of Jesus, you're transferred from one kingdom into a new kingdom. That's why in Matthew 28, when Christ gives a great commission before his ascension, he says to his disciples, I have all the authority. I got it back. You might remember Satan said to me, I have the authority. Jesus says, no, no, I have it back. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has the authority and he shares it with us to use as well. See, Satan never lost his power. He lost his authority. And that's so important to distinguish between the two because so often people think Satan lost his power. If Satan lost his power, he would be a complete non-issue and we could forget all about him. But if Satan lost all his power, then 1 John 5 would not make any sense. 1 John 5, this is after the resurrection. He, Paul says, or John says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. They lie still under his power. He still has some power. And if Satan had lost all his power, then 1 Thessalonians would not make sense either, where Paul says, we wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. How could Satan prevent Paul from traveling if he didn't have some power? See, Satan still has some power that he's still going to use, and that's something we will talk about at a later date, how Satan still has power and how that all works. Can I refer to almost like the rules of engagement, how this whole spiritual warfare works, and so we can understand See, Satan's using his power, but he doesn't have authority. Here's a great quote from my former pastor. If Jesus strips Satan of his power, as some teach, then we no longer need to concern ourselves with him. He becomes a non-issue. And if we have been delivered from his power, then he can no longer affect us. 
we'd be able to ignore him completely, which is precisely what many Christians do. If on the other hand, Jesus dealt with Satan's authority, the right to use his power or ability, then we would need to deal with him as a usurper, a rebel, a thief that has no right to steal, kill, and destroy, but will, if not stopped. That's why Jesus extends us authority. Because part of what we are called to do when a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus is through our prayers and through our intercession, we stop the works of darkness. That's why Jesus said in, in, in the book of Acts, again, I'll go back there, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God. This is Jesus' words that he sends his people out. That's what I'm calling you to do, to help see people delivered from darkness into the light. This is the fun part. We get to be part of God's plan to extend the kingdom of God so people can find and experience freedom. We've been delivered from Satan's authority and given authority through Jesus to help other people find freedom but also to help each of us walk into freedom. But see, this power only works, authority that's God's given to us, when we have this deep and abiding relationship with Jesus so we know what to do and we know what not to do. See, a lot of people understand that they get excited about authority, kind of like the sons of Sceva. Oh, I have Jesus' name, authority. I can get whatever I want it with. No, it's not that way. You can't tag on the name of Jesus behind any little thing that you want and expect to get it. A lot of people don't like when you talk about authority of Jesus because they see a lot of cuckoo people doing things that nobody should be doing. They look like the sons of Sceva running around. They got beat up and they're running around naked. We've seen those crazy kind of people. That's why in order to use authority, the first thing that Jesus says is you're going to be with me. That's why in the Great Commission, Jesus sends them out and says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. See, the biggest part to understand authority is to understand a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about that this year. We also have to understand our identity in Jesus, understand who we are and what we're called to do. As Dave likes to say it, I hope I say it right. How do you say that if you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do? Isn't that good? If you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. Part of understanding authority is understand who am I? What has God called me to be? What does it mean to do the stuff that Jesus has called us to do? One of my seminary professors, Chuck Kraft, he says this brilliant quote. I don't think it's on here. No, because I added this this morning. Um, unfortunately, most Christians do not seem to know the authority they have in Christ. So demons harass us at will, interfering with all aspects of our lives and crippling many. Many people are just being harassed by demons, harassed by the enemy, and they don't know what to do. We have the authority that God's given to us. And I think God wants to nurture us. He wants to teach us this year how to use that authority. But also, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I love this, so Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. 
Part of what God will do this year, he's going to teach us to become familiar with the evil schemes of the enemy so the devil does not outsmart us. I don't like being outsmarted. None of us do. It's time that we understand the enemy's schemes. It's time that we understand what the enemy has tried to do against us so we can walk in victory, so we can walk in community to see the kingdom of God extend, so we can bring the gospel to people who don't think the gospel has any impact on their life right now. That's what we're called to do. Pray for people, intercede for people, pray with the authority that God has given to us so people that are in this middle, they're in this gap, that think the Bible has no relative purpose or for my life, they can experience God. That they can be like the early church 2,000 years ago, that they're listening to the teaching of Jesus, saying, this is amazing. Where did this power come from? Where did this authority come from? Look what he does. We want the next generation, we want the people in the churches to be excited like they were 2,000 years ago. That you're like, wow, that you just follow this guy around. It's amazing what's happening. I think that's how we're going to pack the world. We're going to just teach the Word of God, and we're going to display the Word of God. That's what God has called us to do in this new year. That's what He's inviting us to. He's inviting us to understand our authority so each of us can experience more freedom in our personal life. And as we experience more freedom, then God takes more ownership of our life, that we can surrender more to Him. And we can extend the authority in prayer to people that we love and care for and people we meet on the streets so their life can be turned from darkness into the light so they can experience what God has for us. See, God is so good to us. He's given us authority when we became a follower of Jesus. So many of us, we, we carry this authority, we don't even know it. The world of darkness knows it. The enemy can see your authority coming. He's threatened by you because he knows that you're a child of God. And this year, we're going to understand more fully this whole authority that God's given to us so we can use it in a way to advance the kingdom of God. We all want freedom. We all want more freedom in our family. That doesn't mean everything is going to go, everything's peaceful, we'll never have another problem in our life. No. We're still going to run into obstacles. We're still going to have challenges. We'll still have difficulties. But we can live in freedom from the enemy. That doesn't mean the enemy is going to rule and reign over us. That's what we're searching for this year. So God, we say to you today that we all want to be delivered from the powers of darkness. And we want to understand the authority that you have given to us. We want to walk in freedom and we want to help other people walk in freedom. God, we ask that you'd use us in this year to expand the kingdom of God through, through being with you and through teaching and through practicing and displaying the power of God to the world around us. God, I thank you that you have called us even, Lord, when we don't even really know everything there is to know, you already say, hey, here's some of my authority. God, we desire this year to be very deep and intimate with you. We desire this year to have a deeper relationship with you that would have more trust with you, that would have more conviction from you, and that would have more hope and encouragement. And so, God, we're going to participate in communion now. And as we participate in communion, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. 
that your body was broken for us, that you lived this perfect life so that you could take the authority that Satan had over us and take it back and transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And God, we thank you for that. We remember what you did. We remember that you lived this perfect life. that you yield us and you set us free. And so God, as we take communion today, Lord, we're going to remember what you've done. Remember what you've already done, but we anticipate what you're going to do in the future. Even as we looked at Paul's word, he who began a good work in you will not finish it until it is complete. So we celebrate completion today as well. We celebrate the future today for your goodness. And we celebrate you today. For the people that are at home or watching online or maybe watch later in this week, you know, you don't have to have the bread and the wine to participate. You got a little cup of water, got a little cracker, or you can just pretend to have a cup and a cracker. Participate with us. First thing I want to do is I'm just going gonna, gonna to just pass the bread. You can stay in your seats. I'll serve you. And we're going to take the bread and just say, God, remember. We'll all eat it together. I'll just hand it to you. God, we thank you for your body. You put your body through a lot of torture for us. You put us first so we could be healed and delivered and set free. And we say thank you. Let's eat together. I'm a little emotional. When I started my message, I remembered. It was a year ago this week I had my first surgery. It was a wild year. It was the best year ever. But the reason I'm alive is because Jesus has the authority over all sickness and over death and over diseases. So we can celebrate today thanking you that Jesus keeps us alive that Jesus keeps us healthy and strong. And even sometimes you don't have a remarkable story like mine finished. Dave's story with faith didn't end like mine did. But we still have faith and grace that God is good and takes care of us and watches over us and hovers over us. But we take this and celebrate that Jesus has authority and he has power. And Jesus rules over all powers of darkness and authority of darkness. So we take this to celebrate. That was fun. So, thank you.